Welcome to Lax Historical Context. You're going to have to edit that little blurb out of the beginning from when you told me to go. I can do that. It's not that hard. I'm Sasha. I'm Sean. Uh, we are in a recording marathon. Uh-huh. This is three of three. The previous two drinks were rather heavy. Welcome to Lax Historical Context, the uh, the drinking podcast that sometimes gets out of hand. That we sometimes drink too much in. And if you like drinking podcasts that sometimes get out of hand, I'm going to do a plug real quick for my friend Marie and I's podcast, The Smutcast. That's right. Where we share multiple bottles of white wine while talking about erotic fiction. Yeah. I don't know if I even want to try. Yeah, but you're going, we're going to do a crossover episode and it's going to be historical erotic fiction yeah. and it's going to be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so this is also this is the uh, the second part of a, a two-parter yes. episode on filibusters. Although today we are at the kind of filibuster you are familiar with. Yes, you know what this filibuster is. You know it. You love love it. The, yeah, yeah. No one <laughs> loves these kind of filibusters. This, of course, is the congressional filibuster, yes. where you just start talking and talking and talking, talking and talking to sort of be disruptive to the process of uh, legislation. I would like to, like, in my head, reading about the person I'm going to talk about, it's very much like that kid who raises his hand right before the teacher is about to dismiss you for the end of the day asking about homework. That is what a congressional filibuster is all about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the most annoying son of a bitch in class (laughs) talking to the teacher and getting you more homework. Yep. So. hate it. I hate it so much. Today's beverage... Um, it's very loosely themed for reasons that will become clear later yeah. on, so don't ask. But if um, you're wondering, the beer from last time could have been appropriate for this as well. It could have. Uh, so last episode we drew, we drank fight milk. Apparently, according to congressional rules, water and milk are the only things you're allowed to have while on the Senate floor. And I have, s- my story plays into that a little bit. It's yeah. gross. We'll talk about it. So, today's beverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Boulevard Brewing Company, uh, which is in Kansas City, mature, uh, Missouri. Go Chiefs! So, yeah. <laughs> uh, the this is the Love Child Sour Ale Number Ten. Uh, little blurb here: Love Child Number Ten is a blend of multiple vintages of Flanders style red. Belgian-style golden, and a host of sour ales all aged in a variety of vessels. I feel like that's a little pretentious of a word to use. Yeah, I don't know if I like that, but okay. The result is a totally dynamic sour ale complex with notes of fruit and funk. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Love that fruit and funk, guys. Yeah, so uh, this is the Love Child Sour Ale. Not going to lie, already tried it. I was sipping on it while you were doing that intro. <laughs> yeah. Thoughts? Early thoughts? So, the thing is, you either like sours or you don't. Yeah. There's no like, oh, I like this sour, I don't like this sour. You either like them or you don't. There's I, no in between, I feel and like. And I feel like that's a lot of people because they don't like sour yeah. as a flavor sensation. I, even though I just said you either like them or you don't. I'm one of those people who kind of are in the middle ground. Sometimes I like sours. Sometimes I don't like sours. Depends on how I feel that day. And today I'm in a sour mood. I'm being a salty bitch and I like it. 
So mm. what are your thoughts on the uh, the taste? Um, so a lot of sours in my book are always flavored with fruit. Yeah. This is not. This is just a straight up sour. This is uh, because it's a Flanders red. Yeah. It's not overly fruity. No, it is not. The flavor mm. is really, really straightforward. Like it's almost sour yeah. itself distilled. Yeah. And I like that about it. The problem I have, I guess, with sours is when they're overly fruity. Like when people try to do a peach sour. <laughs> okay. For the record, people brewing things. Don't ever make a peach sour because you know what that ends up tasting like? Vomit. I've had so many peach sours that just taste like vomit. And so don't do that. Just make a nice Flanders red because Flanders reds are usually naturally sour. Just do that. Don't add fruit. You don't have to add fruit. Just let us enjoy the sour. Yeah. That's my thought on that. Also, make me a cranberry sour because that would be delightful. <laughs> I mean, just throwing that one out there. I would love a huckleberry sour. Oh, a huckleberry sour would be very nice. I think we have to go to like Oregon for that. That's where huckleberries are. Yellowstone. Oh, all right. We're going to go to Yellowstone and get some huckleberries and make a sour. So, so I guess that was a digression. But Should we talk about filibusters? <sighs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I like my filibuster-er. I think he's cool. I do not like my filibuster-er. I love my fil... Like, I don't love my filib... Like, okay. Like, we would have a hot and steamy romance, but he also looks like a total... Like, like he looks like a, the guy who would filibuster. Like, if you've seen a picture of my guy, you'd just be like, he's a filibuster You spent your life filibustering. Yeah, didn't you, yeah. buddy? Yeah, so I guess without uh, any more buildup, and I... <laughs> Let me say, I kind of hoped while doing the research for this that mercifully this would be relatively short because shy of actually just reciting the filibuster, uh-huh. <laughs> how, how else do you talk about a filibuster? Context, basic description, the individual involved. See, I'm yeah. talking, I'm more about the man. Yeah. Okay, so and that's... That, and that's, that's what that's mine a, is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Little talk about the legislation brief context of mm-hmm. the, the actual filibuster itself and then description of the person that did it. All right. So I did Bob Lafayette. Um, Bob was born because I'm not going to say his last name again because it's Lafayette. <laughs> French, you know, I'm not good with the pronunciation. Lafayette? Lafayette? Lafoyer. It's F-O-L-L-E-T-T-E. Le foyer. No. That's not how you spell foyer. Foyer is with a Y, I know. dog. All right. So I'm overly exaggerating the French inspiration on the name. So Bobbert was born June 14th, 1855. And you would think with a name like Lafayette, he was born in like Louisiana. That's a very Louisiana name. This fella is from Wisconsin. He sure is Primrose, Wisconsin. He was the youngest of five children born to Josiah... Lafayette and Mamory. That's not right. That's uh, how yeah. it spells. That's like. Yeah, I don't think that's right. Ferguson. M A M R Y. That's Mamory. That's Mamory right there. Uh, Ferguson. A year later, uh, Josiah died. So his dad died a year when he was one year old. Um, then in, 19, in 1862, his mother married a rich merchant who was 70 years old. Whoa, whoa! <laughs> Gold digger in the house. Um, 
even though he was 70 then and we're talking the 1800s so 70 was like 100 then yeah yeah that dude um, was ancient yeah that dude still lived another 10 years uh <laughs> and he and he and bob did not get along um so that was great for bob uh but eventually the old man died um and he died 10 years later and that's when the family moved to madison wisconsin in 1879, he graduated, Bob Lafayette graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This is where he met his wife while attending college, and they were wed on December 31st, 1881. Side note, New Year's Eve wedding, kind of tacky. Yeah. I'm going to say it, kind of tacky. No one wants to go to a wedding party yeah. on New Year's Eve. Party. Or on Christmas or Christmas Eve. Don't. The, if it's a holiday, don't get married on yeah. it. Yeah. Unless it's like one of those easy holidays like President's Day or shit. <laughs> yeah, you can get married on President's Day. But no, you're not going to get married on Easter. You're not going to get married on Christmas or New Year's. You're just a dick if you do. Yep. That's my that's my thoughts on that. True talk. Anyway, Bob's wife was a feminist and a big fan of women's suffrage. So she was had her own part in Bob's life. Um and I feel like a douche for not writing down her name, but I did it. But, uh... <laughs> Unimportant details. For the wreck. We don't need to name feminists. Uh, yeah, for the wreck. <laughs> she was a big feminist, and she was a big part of Bob's political career. She gets no agency or identification, yeah. but huge on that social equality. Um, also in college, Bob decided to become a vegetarian, which, you know, how I feel about I that. I feel like this guy was a little ahead of his time as yeah. far as the whole... And this part's the shocker because, again, you have to think this is the 1800s, not now. Yeah. He was a Republican. <gasps> of course, at the time. At the time. That... Republican was liberal. Uh-huh. And all his family growing up was Democratic Democrats, but he became a Republican. So in 1880, he became a lawyer in Wisconsin. Five years later, he became a representative and served three terms in the House. Nice. Yeah. In 1901, he was elected governor of Wisconsin. As governor, he set a progressive agenda of direct primary systems, tax reform, legislation, and railroad rate control. Huh. So basically, he was against big business, railroad rate controls. That's what he was against. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was all about for people being represented in government. In 1906, he was elected to the Senate. He was seen as a different kind of senator who wasn't in the pocket of big business. Uh, and this is where the fun begins, Sean. Woohoo! Woo. I love me some fun. Because if you don't know around this time, this is the bit robber baron period where there were like five dudes controlling everything. Opposed to now where there's like two dudes controlling everything. We learned, yeah. we learned a lot from history. <laughs> um, so on April 19th, 1906, freshman senator Robert La Fighton, Robert Lafayette, because that was his nickname was Fighton Lafayette, Okay, made his first speech in Congress. The speech would last eight hours over three days and Solid. take up 148 pages on the congressional record. Now, we're talking about filibusters today. Fun fact, this wasn't a filibuster. This was him just being a windy bastard. <laughs> um, so it was just normal-ass speech. So in Congress back in the day, it was custom that freshman senators would not speak on the floor for a fairly long period of time. It could usually be like six months or more. 
Yeah. But good old Bob was like, nah, I've only been in Congress for three months. But you know what? I was in the House. I got this. I'm going to do this long ass speech. Right. So basically everybody in his party was pissed about him, pissed at him because he was not standing with the party and not like talking because he's a freshman. So they weren't they weren't thrilled. Sure. Um, I actually did go into the congressional record to try to look at what his speech was about. Um, and I searched for a while and I found the record, found the correct date. And literally in the record, it said, this will be published later on. <laughs> and then I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to look for it now because why, why would you? <laughs> yeah, why would I? I'm done. And it took me forever to find the congressional <laughs> record from 1906. I just couldn't anymore, and I was done. So that's that's pretty special. Uh huh. So on May, so he was a senator for a while. He was doing his senator thing, but on May 29th, 1908, he was on the Senate floor talking once again. This time, he was actually filibustering. Um, and I don't know why it's so hard to research what these motherfuckers are filibustering, but apparently he was filibustering authorizing national currents uh, currency associations it was like a national banking thing that he was filibustering uh, I, like like the international monetary fund yeah. or a predecessor of it well it was the issue of additional bank circulation and creating a national monetary commission so he was okay. filibustering i want to say against that Okay. Maybe. I I don't know. As a really hard it was really hard to research and see what he was filibustering against. Yeah. Because have you ever read a congressional record? Yeah. It's the worst. For this. And isn't it the worst? <laughs> yeah, it's and awful. And you're just like, just state the bill. Why aren't you stating the bill? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's bad. Um so that's what I thought he was filibustering against. Again, it was it was complicated. Um <laughs> so the scene is set as such. It was basically one of the last days before summer recess. So it was in May. But if you've ever been to D.C., you know it's fucking hot there from basically May until August. Oh, I know. I, so, went, there, I went there for July 4th a couple years uh, ago. So back in the day, there's no, there's no AC. So nobody wants to be in D.C. during that time. Nope. So rightfully so, I feel... The Senate and Congress and everybody took off from June to August because fuck being in D.C. then. They were about to go on their summer vacation is basically what's happening. Yeah. And here's Bob Lafoyette filibustering. (laughs) (laughs) As one does. Yeah. Temperatures were basically in the 90s inside the chamber. Plus. Which is... That's... It's Ooh. real. It's a steam. It's a steam house right there. That's bad. So, Bob. So, in order to vote in Congress, you need to have a quorum present. A quorum is going to be over fifty, I believe. At the time, ooh, I, I mean, it depends on how many people are in there. Yeah, but anyway, um, he asked for a quorum. He asked to see if there was a quorum twenty nine times. Every time he asked, there was indeed a quorum there. <laughs> He well, still, cool. yeah, he still kept on asking for it. And finally, the vice president or the president of the Senate was like, okay, dude, you can't ask for a quorum anymore. Like, I'm over <laughs> this shit. The only thing you can do 
is talk. If you stop talking, we'll vote and we're done. Right. And so Bob was like, all right, I'm just going to keep on talking. So Bob keeps on talking. Yeah. I mean, that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. Around midnight, Bob is hungry. He's He wants a little snickety snack. Okay. So he sends a page to go get a turkey sandwich and a milk with egg in it. The egg is there to fortify him. Okay. <laughs> as his snack of choice. So some say... The Senate kitchen staff was pretty pissed that they were still there past midnight because of Bob in the heat. Fucking Bob. Because of Bob. They were close to getting their their three-month vacation. Bob's here taking their vacation time away. The bastard. So they say that they might have left the egg mixture setting aside for probably too long. But whatever the case. About an hour later, the page comes back with the sandwich and the egg mixture at 1 a.m. And you know what you do? You take a sip of whatever you have, right? Always. And then you're like, oh, this tastes kind of weird. I should take another sip. <laughs> because that's how you do. Uh, I mean, you like, want to verify know, yeah, that it's gone verify bad. You want to verify it's gone bad or you make your friend taste it. You're like, oh, this is gross. Here, taste some. Yeah, is this bad to you? Yeah. So he took another sip, and then shortly after that large last sip of liquid, he started experiencing, as I like to call it, tummy troubles. <laughs> A.K.A. explosive diarrhea. However, that did not stop Bob. Uh, no. No. Um, he actually kept on talking for six <laughs> additional hours. Bob's from Wisconsin. Yeah. All that cheese, he's experienced this yeah. before. So he kept on talking for six more hours until 7 a.m. where his replacement could come in and start talking. In total, he spoke for 18 hours and 23 minutes, which would be a record for a filibuster for about like 50 years. Yeah. Um, I'll get to that. <laughs> and again, people thought maybe it was the kitchen staff that sabotaged him with like the bad egg milk mixture. But a lot of people were like, it's 90 fucking degrees. Who orders a tall glass yeah, of milk with right. an egg in it. Right. That's on him. I kind of agree with the latter. Like, yeah. that's him. Like, even, even if it wasn't good, come that, on. Come on. That's on you, dude. <laughs> like, it's gross. It's hot out. Don't order milk in an egg. Um, so this isn't the end of Bob's career. Bob had a great career of being a dick and filibustering. Yeah, he did. Clearly, I don't like filibusters. So. <laughs> I can tell. Yeah. And. <laughs> Uh, 1917, the world was, you know, at war. Uh, there was a war, and it was like the first there, there, one. There was, a, there was a real big war. Big war going on. Um, the United States wasn't at war at this point. Woodrow Wilson, however, wanted Congress to pass an act that would allow the arming of merchant ships to help fend off German U-boats. The U.S. was still neutral at this time. They were in the war. Bob, however, thought that you know what? I'm a pacifist. This doesn't look cute. Like if we arm our ships, yeah. this is us setting up for war. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. That's signaling a readiness for war to the rest of the world. Yeah. So as people do, the House passed the bill that Wilson wanted to go through. So it was up to the Senate to pass it and declare it as law because that's how the government used to work, Sean. If you didn't know, I just. Thank thought, you for the yeah, clarification. I, I thought I'd throw that one out there. So fighting Bob, he uh, he did what he did the best. He organized a filibuster. Um, <laughs> I would like to say he organized the filibuster because 
the leader of the Senate knew well enough not to give him the floor. So he, along with the help of Missouri Democrat William Stone, started the filibuster, but the chair never actually recognized Lafayette to speak because okay. they knew if you recognized him, even that if was he, it. Even yeah. if he had the poop explosions, yeah, he'd be there. That was it. So this <laughs> whole bill is trying to be passed actually two or three days before the Senate was to adjourn for the year. Like this was their end of the year mission. Okay. Um, so because of that, the bill actually never passed because it just kept on being filibustered. So they never passed a bill. Right. Lafoyette actually published what he was gonna say eventually <laughs> as a record. Um, how many pages? I don't know. How long? It was pretty long. <laughs> um, and Bob Lafoyette is the reason the rule of cloture exists. So the rule of cloture is basically culture, cloture, 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 cloture. So basically what it says is if more than if like only three guys don't want this bill to pass, we're not going to let you filibuster. Yeah. Is what it boils down to. And it's all because Bob was stubborn during 1917 and he and his three friends were like, we're not going to let this bill pass. Right. So they passed that law. Um. So good for him, I guess. Yeah. Um, but not good for him because in April, because he was a pacifist, but in April 1917, a couple months after he did this amazing filibuster, um, he was only one of the six people who voted against joining the war after the sinking of the Lusitania. Mm. So you, the U.S. was plunged into World War One, and yeah. bad things happened. But Bob was against it, but it doesn't really matter because... Yeah, at yeah. that point, you're not changing it. Some actually say that his speech against going to war in April 1917 was one of the best speeches in the history of the Senate. Hmm. But I didn't read it. <laughs> so... I mean, it clearly, even if it was one of the best, it was ineffective because in April yeah, of 17, we went to war. So I guess yeah. it sucked. Um, so Lafayette <laughs> died in office in June 1925 at the age of 70. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually said that his wife could have taken the position and everybody, everybody would have been cool with that. But she decided to let her firstborn son take the position instead. Because if you don't know, if you're a senator and you die, you're family members can fill the position yeah because the governor will appoint somebody yeah um but in 1955 his portrait was one of the five chosen to hang in the senate lounge because he was an outstanding senator yeah other senators chosen were henry clay daniel webster john c calhoun and robert a taft so he was cool but i also feel like he would have been really fucking annoying <laughs> Yeah. Like, Bob, we want to go home. So I, re I read a little bit about him um, because I considered talking about him for our episode way back when on uh -huh. failed presidential candidates. Yeah, because he did run for president. Yeah. Uh, when he was in the Senate still, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I can 100% agree with the assessment that he would have been annoying to talk to. Yeah. Like, I, and if you just look at a picture of him, he has like the crazy Albert Einstein hair and you're just like, you're an asshole. Yeah. You see him and you're just like, oh, I don't uh, have any time like, for I'm this. I'm already bored by you and yeah. we haven't even spoke yeah so yeah yeah nice. but i think he's cool but in an annoying like i wouldn't want to be his friend <laughs> he's cool i just don't ever want to get paired with him for a class assignment yeah because he would just talk and talk and talk and right? just be like shut the fuck 
come yeah, on. Yeah, you'd be like, dear God, nobody cares. We wrote nothing down, Bob. We have nothing to turn in. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now I'm going to enjoy my beer while you talk about somebody I fucking hate. And yeah. I'm glad he's dead. Yeah. We all are. Yeah. Well, tragically, I don't think all of us are glad he's dead. I mean, anybody who listens to this, I think they're pretty glad he's dead. Yeah, that's true. So for uh, my filibuster, we're talking about Strom Thurmond, particularly him and the filibuster that he did uh, ahead of the Civil Rights Act of 1957. You can you know already what? People shouldn't have civil rights. Right. You can already tell where this is going. Uh, I have to do a little bit of a like a, a disclaimer on here. There's some some racist language because I quote him a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, as Sasha knows, I don't believe in censorship, and when it comes to history, I prefer to quote historical figures accurately to mm-hmm. point out the awfulness of the situation, as opposed to censoring it. So if you don't like that, you're warned. Yeah. Um, um, skip ahead. Maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Do know that it's not me saying it. It's this awful human being. He, again, is the worst. He is. He's an awful person. And he's dead, so we can all go dance on his grave. Yay! Ooh, could we go dance on his grave? I'm sure we could. Sweet. <laughs> so, uh, if you don't know the name Strom Thurmond, then you don't know that he is one of the most famous individuals in U.S. history for racism and yep. awfulness. Uh, Such a dick. He was a U.S. senator from South Carolina for 48 years. This is why we need term limits. Right. Um, He's the longest serving senator in history. Um, He, of course, insisted he wasn't racist. No, no, no. no. He just, you know, he just thinks white people are better. Right. (laughs) He, He insisted all along that his opposition to civil rights, it was on the grounds of states' rights. You know. Which... Granted, is an argument that is less racist <laughs> Un- than un- other things. Until I quote him later. <laughs> yeah, until you quote him later. So the civil rights legislation, he argued that it was all too indicative of federal power. So make of that what you will. Uh, this brings us to the Civil Rights Act of 1957. Uh, after the Supreme Court decision, Brown v. Board of Education mm-hmm. in 1954... President Eisenhower was like, you know what? We should get some legislation going that protects African-American voting rights. Because those people in the South, they have pulled all sorts of dickheadedness. And there's a whole lot of black folk down there that can't vote even though they should have the right to. But you know what? States' rights, Sean. Right. States are allowed to treat people like (laughs) third, fourth, fifth class citizens. I'd say sixth. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so civil rights legislation legislation is getting proposed. It's getting mm-hmm, bounced around. Like it does. The Act of 1957 comes around. Mm-hmm. And our friend, actually, that's not our friend, our nemesis, Strom Thurmond, mightily opposed to it. I honestly need to find out where he's buried so I can dance on his grave because I, I would love to. I do know he has a memorial. I would like to do it like, like a jig. <laughs> call and response song uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh can i do cotton eye joe maybe or Cup- <laughs> ooh, cupid shuffle he would hate ooh, it by cupid shuffled ooh, on his grave let's go do the charleston he's from south oh, carolina yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway continue so anyway uh so thurman and the rest of the conservative opposition they managed to strip a lot of the provisions from the civil rights act so it didn't like it happens it, the act happens but it doesn't have the teeth that it's intended to. it's like passing it in um what is that word like? 
this is the three beers hitting me. Um, <laughs> it's just an act. It's like it means nothing. No, no, no. This, so it did stuff, and it did some really important stuff. But it didn't do as much as it wanted to originally. Yeah, yeah. The, because that's the easiest way to get what you want in Congress is to change a bill slightly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like changing the period or to a comma yeah. can somehow make it so that all these people are now disenfranchised. Pretty much. And that's what they did. That's what the South's legacy is built yeah. on. So Thurman tries his best to kill this whole thing, and he performed in the process of this what is today the longest one-person filibuster in history. Suck it, Ted Cruz. Although, <laughs> asterisk on that. I'll get to that in a minute. Beginning at 8.54 p.m. on August 28th, 1957. He's already a dick because you know everybody wanted to go home at 5. Right. <laughs> so Thurman began speaking. And this is where racist language warning comes in. Uh, some th this, is, this is the gem from his talking that makes me think about the whole... The whole, the civil, whole I don't hate yeah, black people the whole, thing. The whole states' rights thing. Yeah. Quote... There's not enough troops in the army to force the Southern people to break down segregation and admit the nigger race into our theaters, into our swimming pools, into our homes, and into our churches. But I'm not racist. Fuck <laughs> you, Strom Thurmond. Uh -huh. You are a... Oh, but you're Chuck, an asshole. But he's not racist. Oh, well, that makes it okay. I mean... You know, because of this beer we're drinking. Right. <laughs> he's not racist. Yeah, yeah, He yeah. likes all the races. A little callback there. Mm -hmm. You're getting ahead of me. Uh, so he railed against federal authority, how the bill was poorly written, and how the Senate should never pass it because it would be disingenuous to the Senate's legacy. Um, and how hamburgers were only two cents in his day and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and how he had blah. to walk five miles uphill both ways in the snow to get to school. Right. Fucking dick. So his filibuster clocked in at 24 hours and 18 minutes, uh, the longest in history, although um, some of the articles I mentioned, this is up for debate. Apparently, uh, Senator Barry Goldwater at one point asked him to temporarily yield the floor to Goldwater. Mm -hmm. Like he was like he according to the articles, he went up to like Thurman and was like, yo, how much longer are you going to speak? And Thurman was like. I don't know, probably an hour or whatever. Hike when and, and he was like, you know what? Why don't you give me the floor for a little minute so you can like do your thing? And during that time, he went to the bathroom and like had a sandwich and shit. But then he came back and kept going. Fuck you, Barry. So at the time, uh, the filibustering rules in the Senate weren't super strict. So that mm -hmm. was a little more, there was a little more leeway with that. Although people were like, come on. And apparently at one point he sat down but in you like, got to stand, bro. Bob did, but I it, assume. Yeah, but it was like a like a cursory thing. Someone else was mm. doing something, so he sat down to recognize it so they didn't, you know, declare his filibuster over or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, it's against the Senate rules today, which are a little more strict, but officially the Senate recognizes 24 hours and 18 minutes today as like mm. the longest one person filibuster. I might know if Bob had more of the those well there are other people that have since got gone longer than uh -huh. the time you mentioned but 18 hours and 23 minutes yeah people have gone more than 20 or 22 hours but officially thurman's record of 24 hours plus is is standing um but his filibuster went for naught the civil rights act of 19 uh 1957 passed um, and even though most of the provisions were removed 
Um, it did do a couple of very important things. Mm-hmm. First, it uh, it established the uh, Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department, which gave the federal government the authority to prosecute people that tried to take away someone's right to vote. Kind of important. Yeah. I'm going to throw yeah, that out there. Just, just touch. It also created the U.S. Civil Rights Commission to investigate voter infringement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so when it comes to civil rights legislation impact and wow factor, not as sexy, but vital. It was the first step. Yes. Like it got the it got the foot in the door. Yeah. It, and that's what was important for it, it. It signaled the turning of the tide. And they also knew now that they needed to like tell Strom Thurmond there was some hot people in the lobby so he wouldn't <laughs> be in like the floor when they right. were debating that bill. Yeah. So um as for Strom Thurmond, he continued to be a dick. Mm-hmm. I, I yep. guess he got better. I guess better with an asterisk. In know. the seventies, he got old. That's what happened. Well, in the seventies, he got to be less overtly racist. He never like renounced anything. He just doubled down and committed to the whole. And how many love children did he have by that point? Well, he committed to the whole states' rights platform. In 1976, he became the first Southern senator to nominate an African-American to be a federal judge. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good job. But one possible reason for all this and why we're drinking the love child beer. (laughs) After Thurman died in 2003, soon came out he had an illegitimate half-black daughter. Oh, yeah, he did. Essie Mae Washington Williams. Get this, dude. You ready for this shit? Yeah. Born in 1925 when he was 22 years old. He didn't get married till he was in the 40s. So illegitimate in the whole out of wedlock Now thing. I feel a little bit sad for him because maybe he was like deeply in love with her. But then like he had he, to double down on the racism. Mm-hmm. No. Because as he may he like a rapist. she she had conversations with him throughout his life about like, dude, maybe you should dub like you know, calm down on the whole segregation yeah. shit. And he was like, fuck no. Like, it's awful. To his half-black daughter. Like, what the fuck, right? <laughs> so she was born in 1925. Thurman was 22. Her mother was the 16-year-old Thurman family maid. <sighs> How old was he at the time? 22. It's creepy. Oh, it's creepy. It's a little so creepy. creepy. Yeah. It's very um, creepy because you also like grew up with this person, probably. Yeah. It's so, so creepy. So Thurman never publicly acknowledged her. He did pay for her education. Um, she received a bachelor's at Southern, or sorry, at South Carolina State College, which is a historically black college. And he helped support her, you know, in general. Uh huh. And she went on to a career in education, but the African American that he nominated to be a judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was Matthew J. Perry, and he had actually dated Essie Mae before she'd met her husband. So, if you want to take away a little thorn in the side, even when it comes to the advancement of civil rights, it's all in who you know. <laughs> I would like to think, though, he only nominated him because he didn't like Essie Mae's husband and was just like, your ex was so much <laughs> better. He, w- he was a white black person. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to nominate him. And you look how well he does. <laughs> so she actually died in 2013. Oh. But the uh, the thing about uh, his family, the rest of his family, mm-hmm. did acknowledge her after the fact. And uh, her name was actually added to the monument 
with him in, oh. in South Carolina because it has the names of his children on there, mm-hmm. and they added her name to it eventually. That's kind of nice. So, nice? Yeah, yeah, so you can go dance. Well, because he never, like, disinherited. He always was. He, he, he supported her financially, paid for her college. He never acknowledged her, and he was obviously, like, super into segregation, which must have been a slap in the face. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you know, he wasn't totally. Out of all the racists. And they're illegitimate children. He's not the worst. He's not the worst, yeah. That's yeah. all we can say for him. He's an awful human being. Yeah. He's not the worst when not it comes to Not the worst. So uh, my sources for this, The Racist Filibuster We Can't Afford to Forget by John Hockenberry. Uh, this is an episode of the podcast The Takeaway, but I also read the short essay version of it on WNYCstudios.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also the filibuster that almost killed the Civil Rights Act on constitutioncenter.org. And I also went to the senate.gov site to look at the congressional record um, of his syllabus where I got some of the specifics Which of it. Which is also the worst. The congressional yeah, yeah. record is... It's it's hard. Yeah. The one document for that year was 88 pages long. Uh-huh. So, um, but it was volume 103, part 12 in the proceedings of the 85th Congress of the United States of America. So, yeah. So, I forgot to do my references. So, I did political.com, politico.com, and they did actually, it was like a this day in history. It was Senate, Senator Lafayette delivers his maiden speech April 19, 1906. And then I did senate.gov, art and history. They actually did a quick little tidbit on him drinking that milk and it was called a deadly drink and then i also did constitutioncenter.org how to end a filibuster world war one and the origin origin of cloture rule nice and uh yeah cool your guy sucks my guy's awesome in comparison (laughs) but i would hate to meet either of them yeah it would have been pretty awful i would have i would have punched your guy I would have just discreetly tried to leave the situation with my guy. Yeah. Like, you know, he would have started talking and you would have just done the back away slowly. He'd be like, that's cool. Well, that's and then, cool. Like, like, you know, under the, under like the table, dial a number on yourself. Yeah. And like, call. Like, oh, oh, oh I, got, I got a call. I, I got to take know. this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, listen to us everywhere. Yep. Yep. Like whatever platform you play us on, like make like the '90s and carry the boombox around and play us. Yeah, so. just tell people you love us, and then because we love you, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Yep, yep. When you tell your friends about lax historical context, tell them we said something interesting. <laughs> <laughs>